This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I am an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, my name is Ray and I'm an alcoholic. Here's the preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other, that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Ray. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. Welcome to the show, Ray. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. So let's get to know a little bit more about about you. Mm -hmm. How long have you been sober? I've been sober 26 years now. Wonderful. And um, let's talk a little bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up. Sure. Well, I was born in Glasgow and uh, there was a lot of alcoholism in my family. Mm. Although my father was an alcoholic, but nobody ever said that he was an alcoholic. All they said was that he drank too much. Mm. And if he could only cut down, that's what we all believed. If he'd only cut down, it would be fine. So, um, of course, he couldn't manage to do that. But I had that uncles as well, you know, that um, drank a lot. And I wanted to be the same as them. Mm. You know, I wanted to drink when I grew up because I saw a lot of them having a lot of fun and different things. But I didn't want to be like my dad. Right. And I didn't understand that, you know, mm. that my dad was the one we had to take home, not the other ones. <laughs> mm. And so for you, um, so growing up around alcohol, when did you first come into contact or experience your your first drink and experience with alcohol? Right. Again, that was given to me by my father. I was 15 years of age mm-hmm. and uh, I was on a boat going to a place called Isle of Man for holiday. And there was a friend and I were standing outside. There was a bar on the boat watching them all having a drink. My father spotted us and he came out and he says to me, I know that you've been drinking. So if you're going to drink, you're going to drink in front of me. And I hadn't been drinking, but I never <laughs> said, I never saw you. And he went back into the bar and he came out with a glass of whiskey and a bottle oh. of beer. That was my introduction at 15 years of age. And I took it and wow, you know, the effect after about five, ten minutes... I thought they should have gave me this when I was five. (laughs) So there was an immediate effect and um, almost enjoyment. Well, enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so as you progressed through your teens, uh, what what did your drinking look like? Well, when I came back after that holiday, I started an apprenticeship in the shipyards in Glasgow. Mm. And so I didn't have a lot of money. And so my drinking was mostly at the weekends, Mm -hmm. Friday and Saturday. And I wouldn't get into a pub unless I could get drunk. Sure. You know, I didn't go in for a class. I used to play football during the week and after training, some of the boys would go for a pint and I wouldn't go with them. No. Because I didn't have enough to get drunk. So that was my, I was binge drinking then, but I didn't know it was binge drinking. No, no. Right. And, and so when you had that alcohol, how did it make you feel? Well, there's a saying about 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Right. And uh, that was <laughs> what I did. I felt brave. I felt confident. The biggest thing was I could talk to girls. Right. Because I was shy before that. And as soon as I got that alcohol, wow, you know. And so I used to go to the dancing a lot. And I'd have to go into the pub before I went to dancing so that I could ask girls to dance. Yeah. And that was where it started. But of course, I couldn't I couldn't control it. No. That's what I thought, you know. I used to count my drinks and see, you know, I loved the feeling maybe after a certain amount of drinks. And I say, well, how many was that? You know, and I count them. The next time I'll try to just drink that amount. And of course, as soon as I got to that amount, I thought, I want to hold on to this, so I better have another one. Keep it, keep <laughs> and it. And I'm drinking yeah. again. Yeah, drunk again. 
And so as you progressed into early adulthood, um, did the drinking, you know, at any time become start to become worrisome or did you think I'm not drinking like people around me or, or this is a problem? Yeah. Um, I knew that was my drinking was a wee bit different, but I just thought it was a phase I was going through. Mm. I would grow out of it. When I was 19... I got mugged and I fell downstairs. I don't know, I was in a blackout and I mm. fractured my skull mm. and I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Um, but the day I came out was a Friday and that night I was back in the pub again, you know, yep. because I just didn't think that alcohol was a problem, you know. I'll just, I'll be careful the next time. Yep. But it was getting a, a problem um, in those days. But as I say, I still thought it's just a phase I'm going through, something will happen and I'll be able to change and I'll just, I'll not stop drinking, but I'll become a social drinker. Yeah. Although I didn't know what a social drinker was. <laughs> I thought a social drinker was getting drunk with your mess. <laughs> and so so heading into into early adulthood yeah. and, and um, you know, were there any consequences um, as a result on jobs, relationships? Right. When I was 21, I went to Australia, emigrated. 10 pound tourist they called it in the 60s <laughs> and uh, my drinking increased over there but that was what they called a geographical I thought mm. when I went over there uh, my drinking would change you know I would settle down a bit and it got worse 25 I come back to Glasgow mm. and I thought this is this is me ready now I've done all my travelling I'll come back and settle down and my drinking still carried on right. and then I got married when I was 27 to a girl I met in Australia and I thought this is the time mm. nothing mm-hmm. Nothing changed, you know, it was just, I would always find an excuse to drink more. So, yeah, things were getting bad. <laughs> I always remember, there's a bit of my old granny, my Scottish granny, saying to me when I was about 30, Raymond, every man is only allowed so much alcohol in his lifetime, and you've drank all yours. <laughs> now you're drinking everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to stop. I wish I'd listened. And when these people said these things to you, or you yourself felt, um, you know, it's going to change, did that make you change? Did you try to stop? I tried to control it a wee bit, but I still thought that that was my right. Right. You know, I, this is what a man does. I work hard. Yeah. If you work hard, you play hard. All that nonsense that I'd heard growing up. And um, I still, as long as I could compare myself to somebody that was worse than me, mm then I was okay. Mm. Right? And you can always find somebody that's worse than mm, you. Mm. Right? And I guess your emotional and mental state during this period and as your drinking progressed, what was that like? Terrible, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was lots of guilt, mm. um, lots of remorses, you know, for stupid things that I'd done. And sometimes the only way to get rid of that was to have another drink, mm. Mm. you know, and, and that was the cycle that uh, I was on at that stage. I came to New Zealand uh, when I was 30. And again, this was going to be the big change. Yeah. And um, it never happened. No. And so what, what we sometimes describe in AA as our rock bottom yep. and what brought us into either recovery, AA or, or something, what what did that look like for you? Okay. Um, my wife was getting really sick of my drinking. I started... I started Drinking in the mornings mm. at that stage. I was working in a freezing works down in Invercargill mm-hmm. and I started drinking in the morning. 
And then I started hiding my drink and I hated myself for doing that. Mm. But I just thought that it would ease the pressure. And then my wife joined Alan on and things <laughs> changed overnight. <laughs> because, uh, you know, when I used to come home drunk and I'd fall asleep on the couch, she'd come in and, well, no come in, but when she went to bed, she'd throw a blanket over me, mm. go to bed. She joined Alan on, the blanket disappeared <laughs> and the windows were thrown wide open. I'd wake up freezing in the morning, you know, because she made me she made me responsible for mm. my drinking, which was the best thing that could happen to me. Mm. Because if somebody covers up for me, mm. you know, I would never realise just the harm I was doing other people as well. Yep. So that's what started it. And then the pressure was really on me then, mm. you know, because uh, she was in. And I get really angry when I found out she'd joined Eleanor. How dare you go and talk about, to people about me? Because mm. that's what I thought she was mm. doing. And then a sponsor came to me and said, She's not going to Al-Anon to stop you drinking. She's going there to help herself. Wow. And I thought, that sounds good. She can go to Al-Anon and I can carry on drinking. We'll both be happy. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the way it went, you know. So, again, there was a lot of pressure on me. And then she left me. That was another. You know, she took the kids and uh, she left. Right. This is a big thing as well because a lot of people talk about difficult Stopping drinking. Mm. It's not. It's not difficult to stop because I, I stopped for six weeks in 1980 for Lent to prove a point mm -hmm. that I'm not an alcoholic and I can, I can do this. And I did. I stopped drinking for six weeks and I put a big halo around my head and thought <laughs> it was wonderful. At the end of that six weeks, I started drinking again. My wife left me on a Monday and on the Wednesday I was in a detox ward. Wow. You know, that's how... Like it was. And that was your introduction yes. to recovery. Yes. And so talk to us then about your first AA meeting. <laughs> my first AA meeting, I was in my pyjamas because I was in hospital. Wow. And um, I still didn't think, you know, when I woke up in the hospital, I, I had a blackout and I phoned AA. My wife had left me a number mm -hmm. and left me with the kids. And I phoned up AA feeling sorry for myself. And this guy had one look at me and said, oh, you know, you're still drunk. They took me down to a detox ward. But when I woke up, I thought, oh, what a terrible mistake I've made, you know. <laughs> People will think I've got a problem. And um, I tried to sign myself out and they talked me into staying in. So when I went to that meeting, I still thought, this is a bit dramatic. You know, <laughs> I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I, I've just got a problem and mm. I'll fix it. Mm. I'll do it on my own. And uh, that's what I tried to do. And, and so how did that go? And what was it that I guess ultimately brought you to that place of acceptance right well I went back out of the hospital stayed sober six weeks back drinking again and the next nine months were a nightmare then I went to Queen Mary Hospital and it started in there you know right. and they really pushed the AA program up there you know mm -hmm. and I started learning about the steps and what an alcoholic really was mm. and I knew then you know that it was me you know they they gave us a questionnaire I think there was 15 questions on it you know it's the first time I've ever passed a test with 100%. <laughs> you know, I was so there. And so... And then I came back out and went to AA. And so, and so um, AA out in the community, um, out of that treatment centre, how did you yeah, how did you find those early days of recovery? Right. They, call, they talk about the pink cloud. You know, mm -hmm. you come back out again. I was feeling great. You know, I'd, I thought I'd accepted that I was an alcoholic and... Um, they told me to get a sponsor. And when I went back to Invercargill, I got a sponsor and I started 
getting really involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but I was pretty arrogant at that time, you know, and I, I still wasn't very teachable. You know, I'd take certain things and I'd say, yeah, that sounds good and I'll do that, but I'm not doing that and I'm not doing that. And so my recovery then was quite shaky for a long time. Mm. Um, and again, it was just because I wouldn't listen. So um, I really got involved, you know, when I was in, I was in, but I still doing it my way. Sure. You know, and that was the problem. Yeah. And we talk about, um, you know, some of the tools of recovery being sponsorship. How yeah. important has that been for you? That was very important. Um, my sponsor at that time has now got 42 years sobriety. So he's still sober. Um, and it was great for me because... He got me involved in a lot of service work, you mm. know, and sponsoring people and different things like that, and uh, shared his experiences with me as well. You know, <laughs> I was still a bit wary about going to meetings and sharing you know, some of the things I'd done. You know, yeah. And they told me, you know, you've just got to share it with one person. So I shared a lot of things with my sponsor, right? And I would tell him things, and I say, "Oh yeah, I've done that," and he would share things with me. I say, "Okay." So what about this one? I said, oh, yeah, I've done that. And I got to the point where I thought, he's sicker than me, you know. <laughs> but it was good, you know, because yeah. then it made me feel it was it was part of my alcoholism. As you said before, it's a, an illness. Mm. And I would never accept that, you know. I thought it was all about willpower. Sure. You know? and, and I think the thing of the sponsorship is we don't have to do it alone. No. And it's bigger than the sponsor. It's the fellowship. Yes, yes. And, so and, much more, so. and so you talked briefly just before you mentioned the steps. So how important have they been as part of your recovery journey? Very important. You know, as I say, in that period, I had a couple of relapses because I wouldn't do, as I say, what was suggested. Mm. And then I came back in and I knew that I had to change. Mm. And so then I got into the, really into the program. And the steps are so important, you know. They're a way of showing you how to live in this life. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that I was that was okay. I, I knew I was shy when I was sober and I wasn't very confident and all that stuff, you know. But I just thought, well, that's my nature. But it's not, you know, I can learn. And when I started putting these steps into my life, you know, and understanding that I didn't have to do this thing on my own, mm. that was a big one. You yeah. can't do this on your own. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think you can. Maybe some people can. I'm not saying nobody. But I can't anyway. No. I need a lot of help to move along this journey. Yep. Mm. And you just mentioned the, I guess, uh, what we call life on life's terms. Yep. What are some of the things you do today to help you cope with times of difficulty? Good question. I still go to meetings. Mm -hmm. I still talk to people. I still share about it. When I get into a difficult situation, one of the things I learned in recovery was to develop an attitude of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Because as an alcoholic, I always wanted more. If I got something that was good, I wanted more of it, mm -hmm. more of it. And then I had to look and see the things I had, not the things I wanted, because I was told that I'll never get all the things I want, but I will get what I need. And then I started understanding that. So that's what I do today. In my recovery, I've had a couple of setbacks. My wife died after four years mm. uh, in my recovery. And I never drank because of that. Wow. And if you'd have told me that in the beginning, I would, wouldn't have believed you. Mm -mm. But by that time, I was really into the program. I was working the steps. I was getting a lot of people around about me. And they carried me through that. A couple of years later, I had a heart attack. 
you know, and I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and I had 10 stents. But wow. again, you know, I didn't think about a drink. It was a miracle, you know. I never thought I would get to that point where mm. when a crisis happened in my life, I'd, I wouldn't want to drink. And I don't because I know that it's not going to do me any good, mm. you know. And so, again, as I say, what I do is I talk to people, I look at my blessings, I've got family, I've got grandchildren, mm. you know, I look at all that stuff. Mm. And uh, I've got two sons and they still talk to me today, which is wonderful, you know. And in one of the, you know, one of the big parts of our of our program, you know, we talk about um, living life on a spiritual basis, yep. and AA is a spiritual program, yep. not a religious program. What right. does that look like for you? It looks. What it does is it just makes me feel that um, God is inside me, and my recovery is inside me as well. You know, and you can. Do whatever you want. You can talk about God as whatever you want. I don't know what God is. Mm. And what I, when I go to a meeting, I believe God talks to me through people because I mm. hear what people are saying and it makes a lot of sense to me. Spirituality means just feeling good about being on this earth. You know? If I'm walking along the road and somebody's walking towards me and they smile at me and say good morning, that's spiritual. Mm. I feel good inside and I nod back to them. And that's good. And I've got, I had to learn that. You know, but the simple, small things in recovery that uh, make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And is that something that's changed and grown throughout your recovery? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This <laughs> this is something I had to learn that I'm on a journey. Yeah. I'm not on a destination, you know. I'll never make it. You know, <laughs> when they screw me down the coffin, that's when I'll have made it. <laughs> but all along the way, you know, that um, I'm experiencing new things in my life. And I'm seeing things now, you know, especially maybe in the first couple of years, I would see things and think, Jesus, where did that come from? You know, but it's been there all along. But because I was so into mm. myself mm. and staring at my feet and mm. belly button, belly, navel gazing, you know, I never seen things. Mm. And now I look for the good things in life. Mm. And that's what this program's taught me. Yeah. You can't do that when you're drinking. And and look, you've 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 briefly described it, but um, you know, Ray, what's your life like today? Yeah, my life is really good. I'm retired now. I've been retired for a few years now, mm -hmm. um, but I still go to about five six meetings a week. I sponsor people because mm -hmm. that's a big part of my recovery. I just enjoy life. I'm going up to Auckland like two weeks' time to see my my son and my grandkids. Mm. You know, I'm married again. And my wife's in the fellowship, which is a, a real blessing because both of us work this program, you mm. know. And uh, yeah, on a daily basis, I just I just enjoy life. Yeah. Um, I wake. I don't. Even in the first couple of years of my recovery, I used to wake up every morning with fear, mm. and I don't have that fear in my life today. You know, there was always something bad going to happen, or something was going to go wrong, or I was going to make a a decision that was going to be a disaster. I don't believe that today. You know, I just believe that. Things are going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. And that's the gift. Yeah, that's the gift. Of the recovery mm. program. And it makes me feel good. Well, Ray, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. You're welcome. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. 
Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats again on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business, but if you want to stop, we can help. As Ray said, you don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. 